God does his best work with empty. Nancy Guthrie said that in her book by the same title. Listen, if you're not reading Nancy Guthrie, what are you even doing with your life? Maybe you don't know her. She's one of my favorite authors. Uh, she's got some great work on uh, Old Testament books, but you should check out some of her work. She says this in that book by that title. She says, you may have come to see your emptiness as your greatest problem, but I hope to convince you that when God sees the emptiness in your life, he sees it as his greatest opportunity. Emptiness has never been and never will be a problem to God. God does his best work with empty, as by his spirit he fills it with himself. God prefers empty so he can fill it with himself. God prefers empty. And isn't that the way we came to faith in Jesus? Isn't that the way we always come to God empty and with nothing to offer him but our desperate need? I think so. And so does the Apostle Paul. So let's turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 2, where we will see that it is exactly how we came to faith in Christ. Empty only to be filled by him. And filled we are. Colossians 2, look at verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So here's what Paul is telling the Colossian church. They came to Christ empty. They received Jesus as a gift, the free gift of God. They did nothing to earn it. They did nothing to earn their salvation. They brought nothing to the table but need. They brought nothing to the table but their sin. They simply held out the empty hands of faith and God filled them with himself. As they received Jesus, Paul says, so they should go on receiving Jesus. This is the Christian life, continually receiving from God. So Paul is encouraging the Colossians, really, just to simply enjoy the free gift. Enjoy your forgiveness. Enjoy your justification. Enjoy all the benefits that come to you because you are in union with Christ. The Colossians received Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, and that's how they should live. That's how they should walk in grace, trusting Jesus. What Paul does not want this church to do is to go back to trying to earn this gift through obedience to the Mosaic law or obedience to man-made rules that evangelical Christianity sometimes puts in place, right? We're notorious for that. Paul says you can't earn this gift through obeying the law, through man-made rules, which is exactly what the false teachers who were sneaking in the church at Colossae were suggesting. Paul is reminding this church that they can't earn and they can't maintain favor with God through what they do. They are accepted. They are blameless. They are loved. They are forgiven. And so are you, Christian. When God sees you, he sees his son. Amazing. When God looks at you, Christian, he sees the perfect life of Jesus imputed to you. He sees his righteousness. And how did we ever get to that place where when God looks at us, he sees his son? We simply received the free gift of God with the empty hands of faith. 
And because the Colossians have received Jesus as the free gift of God, Paul says that they should walk in him. That's union with Christ language, in him. Union with Christ is the dominant theme of the book of Colossians. We'll see it in the next few verses that follow as Paul will use the phrases in him and with him quite a bit. Union with Christ is the heartbeat of Christianity. Charles Spurgeon once said, There is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. That's what Paul wants them to do. He wants the Colossians to walk in freedom, to walk in joy, to walk in happiness, to walk in him. He wants them to feel their union with the resurrected Lord. So what is union with Christ? Why is it so important? Union with Christ is what has happened to every single believer in Jesus. We have been united to Jesus by faith. United to his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We are in Christ. We are hidden in him. This phrase, in Christ, is actually the New Testament's favorite way to describe Christians, to describe disciples. The most common way to describe a disciple in the New Testament is in Christ. In fact, the term Christian only appears three times in the Bible, but the phrase in Christ or in him occurs about 165 times. That's why I've titled this series in Colossians, In Him. And it's why this doctrine is so important, because the Holy Spirit has spilled so much ink on it in the Bible. He wants us to get it, to grasp it. He wants us to feel it. That means then that nothing is more basic or central to the Christian life than union with Christ. Being in Christ, being in Him, United to him by faith, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means that we are united to Jesus at all points of what he has accomplished for us. We share in his life because he lived a perfect life on our behalf. We share in his death because we were baptized into his death. We share in his resurrection because we are resurrected. We've been raised with him. We share in his ascension because we have been raised with him and seated now in the heavenly places. So we share in what is called his heavenly session, meaning we sit with Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, in, with him in heavenly places because our life is hidden with Christ in God. And then finally, we will share in his soon return. Hey, it might be today. Wouldn't that be great? He might come back this afternoon. I don't want anybody to wake me up from my nap today, my Sunday nap. But if Jesus comes back, I'm okay with that. He's the only one that can wake me up from my nap. And if he comes back, that would be great. But when he returns, we will share in that. Because Christ, who is our life, Paul says, when he appears, Colossians 3, 4, then we will also appear with him in glory. This is the very heart of the gospel, what we believe. And that's why Paul encourages the Colossians to walk in it. Walk in him. The Colossians are in Christ. They are forgiven. They are secure. So the appropriate response to the grace of God is to live for and honor the one who saved him. That's what Paul means in verse 6 when he says walk in him. They are in union with, connected to Christ. So they should strive to live for him. And so that phrase walk in him means something like this. Live like You're in union with Christ. 
Live like you have all you need in him. Live like you're forgiven, really and truly forgiven. Let me ask you, what would your life look like if you really believed that you are forgiven? What would your life look like if you really believe that you are connected to Jesus? I'll answer my questions for you. You would be free. You'd start to live the life that Jesus wants you to live. You'd really believe, as Galatians 5.1 says, that it is for freedom that Christ set you free. For freedom. He didn't set you free to obey a bunch of man-made rules. He didn't set you free to try to obey the law so that you can earn his favor somehow. He set you free so that you could be free. And then, because you are walking in freedom, knowing that Christ has set you free, you know what will happen? Some people will doubt your salvation. If you begin walking in freedom, some people will doubt that you are a Christian because you don't adhere to their man-made rules. Can't do this, can't do that. Listen, if you live free, if you live relaxed, if you live trusting the promises of God in his word, and you start enjoying your forgiveness, some people will begin to question if you are saved. Free people are an odd sight in the church. Shouldn't be that way, but it's true. Free people make people raise their eyebrows and scratch their heads. Steve Brown said, you ought to live your life with such freedom and joy that uptight Christians will doubt your salvation. If there is no laughter, Jesus has gone somewhere else. If there is no joy and freedom, it is not a church. It is simply a crowd of melancholy people basking in a religious neurosis. If there is no celebration, there is no real worship. So when Paul says, walk in him, he's saying, live like you have a father in heaven. Live like you live in a fathered world. Live like you believe in God's sovereignty. Live like the gospel is true. Live free. That's how you walk in him. You walk in freedom. And you don't stress over what other people think about you. You quit becoming a people pleaser. You relax. You start to believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You believe that all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And then you really start to enjoy God. Even if people doubt your salvation. And if you live like this, if you walk in him and you walk in the freedom of the gospel, you'll be more pleasurable to be around. And your family will thank you. My family hasn't thanked me yet because I'm not sure I'm walking in it. But I'm trying. The psalmist captures this idea of walking in Psalm 119.45 when he says, And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. When the psalmist talks about a wide place, he's talking about walking in God's freedom. When he seeks the truth of God's word, he says, when the gospel gets down into his pores, it frees him. He begins to walk in a wide place, no entanglements. He's disencumbered. He's free. There's no chains. There's no man-made rules to bog him down. He's walking in a wide place. That's what the gospel does. It brings freedom. It frees us to rest and to relax, to dance, to smile, to laugh, to enjoy life, to not take ourselves so seriously for crying out loud. That's Psalm 119.45 
walking in a wide place stuff. It's walking in him. I think the psalmist would read Colossians 2, 6 and say, that's what I was talking about when I said I would walk in wide places. I was talking about freedom, walking in him. And when we walk in him, guess what? We begin to grow. We mature. I mean, how could it be otherwise? If we're walking in Christ, walking in the freedom of the gospel, how could we not grow? How could we not mature? And isn't that what you really want? Don't you want to grow up as a Christian and mature? It happens when we walk in him. Look at verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Because we're in union with Christ, we're now rooted in Christ. Our, our roots go deep into Jesus. And because we are rooted in Christ, then we begin to grow. Paul says we are built up. So Paul is saying that we only grow in relation to Jesus. We only grow in relation to our Savior. We grow, we, we mature, we are built up only as we realize that we have been rooted in Christ. His life causes us to grow. His life causes us to mature. His word causes us to grow. So to walk in Christ simply means to take serious the fact that you are in union with him. It's not about getting better, doing more, trying harder, pedaling faster. It's about taking to heart that you are united to Christ by faith. So you walk in him. And why wouldn't you want to walk in him and live for him? And when you realize that, oh yeah, then you begin to grow. You grow slowly, yes, but you begin to grow. Paul then says in verse 7 that we are established in the faith. That simply means that we are saved by faith, by trust in Christ alone. But it can also refer to the whole body of teaching, our Christian doctrine. So when Paul says the Colossians are established in the faith, he means established in the gospel, established in Christian doctrine, because he says, just as you were taught. Epaphras brought the gospel to the Colossians. We saw that in chapter 1. They heard the word of truth, the gospel, Colossians 1.5, and they heard and understood the grace of God in truth and learned it from Epaphras, Colossians 1.6 and 7. So they have been established in the truth that Epaphras taught them. They heard the truth, the grace of God in truth. So they don't need to entertain these false teachers anymore because they have all they need. They don't have to do anything more. So what is the response to receiving the free gift of Christ the Lord and being rooted in him and walking him? The response then is, Paul says in verse 7, thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul says, because we are united to Christ by faith, rooted in him, established in him, we should respond to that truth with thanksgiving, overflowing with thanksgiving. In fact, giving thanks is a theme of this letter. Paul mentions it seven times in Colossians. Paul uses the Greek word in verse 7 translated as abounding in the ESV. That means to overflow the set boundaries. So you have your favorite coffee cup, you use in the morning, you get up, you make coffee, and you pour your coffee, but you stop, don't you? You, don't, you may be really tired, and you might be tempted to keep pouring because you're really tired, but you know I have to stop pouring my coffee at some point. Why? Because it will overflow the cup, 
and spill out all over the counter. So there is a set boundary to your coffee cup that you know I do not need to go beyond this. Paul is telling the Colossians they shouldn't set any boundaries with their thanksgiving. They should overflow the set boundaries with thanksgiving. They can pour out all the thanksgiving that they want. They can get thanksgiving all over the place, all over their life. They can just get thanksgiving everywhere. There is no limit. God never puts a limit to thanksgiving. Isn't that wonderful? God never says to us, y'all have taken this Thanksgiving thing too far. Slow your roll, bro. No, God sets no limit on how we can give thanks to him. In fact, we read it earlier, Psalm 50, verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. We glorify God, which is the whole point of life, when we offer thanks to him for all his blessings that we see in our life. Thanksgiving, but understand this, Thanksgiving feeds on memory. Thanksgiving feeds on memory, remembering what Christ has done for us. So our job is to discover and rediscover all the time all the blessings of the gospel. Alec Motier said, salvation is like a great hamper filled full of every possible blessing of God. And our task is to discover personally, progressively, ceaselessly, what has thus been given to us once for all. That's how thanksgiving survives. It keeps discovering all that we have in Christ. Like sifting through a hamper full of laundry, we discover personally, progressively, ceaselessly, all that has already been given to us in Christ. And with each new discovery and rediscovery, what do we do? We give thanks. So thanksgiving feeds on the gospel, which is why you need to hear the gospel all the time. It feeds on the grace of God and truth. It feeds on God's word. It feeds on God's wisdom. The problem is that we don't remember what God has done for us or it becomes old hat and we're like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. I know all that. We get gospel amnesia and forget all that Jesus has done, how he has answered so many prayers throughout our life, how he's delivered us, cared for us each step of the way. And when we forget that, that's usually when we start to grumble and complain. We forget all that we already have. To quote Nancy Guthrie again, she says, when we find ourselves unsatisfied in life, it's not that we don't have what we need to be happy, it's that we refuse to be happy with what we have. Ooh. That one stings, doesn't it? Often we feel empty and we aren't content with what we have. We get restless. We think there's something else that we need to fill the emptiness inside of us besides Jesus. But God does his best work with empty. God does his best work in our lives when we come to him empty needing to be filled by him, needing his wisdom, needing his presence, needing his spirit. And so the emptiness in our lives that we all feel from time to time can get filled up with God when what? When we abound in thanksgiving. That's why Paul wants the Colossians to overflow with thanksgiving because it will fill up the emptiness that they feel in their lives 
And they will realize, I have everything that I need in Christ. Now, if you're like me, sometimes life feels empty, doesn't it? It just feels empty, like, what is there? Sometimes I feel empty. And when I do, I start looking for things to fill up that emptiness that I feel. I mean, life can still be good. You have a family, a house, a job. You can't really complain, but you just feel empty. You feel that way sometimes, don't you? Or am I the only one? I'm learning, and I'm not very good at it, but I'm learning to overflow with thanksgiving when I'm feeling empty. I'm learning when it all feels pointless, when my life feels empty, to start to abound and go beyond the set boundaries with thanksgiving, to overflow with gratitude. And so understand this. You fill the emptiness that you feel with thanksgiving. That's how you fill it up. That emptiness that you feel inside, you fill it up with thanksgiving. So when you feel, and remember, it's just a feeling, right? Half of our problems would be solved if we just quit obsessing about how we feel, right? When you feel, and it's just a feeling, when you feel empty, fill your life with thanksgiving, and that will fill you up with the presence of God. You'll see that he is there, and you have everything that you need. Now, how can we do this practically? Well, here's one way to do it with your Bible reading. Okay, we'll just take that for an example. Try this. Read a passage of Scripture, and then you just thank God for everything in it. For example, the verses that we've looked at so far today, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Let me read them, and then we're going to thank our way through it. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So then you you read that and you pray something like this. Thank you, Lord, for the free gift of grace. Thank you that Jesus is a free gift to be received and I don't have to work hard or obey the law to receive him. Thank you that all I need to do is to come with the empty hands of faith. Thank you, Lord, that the Christian life is a walk in freedom. Freedom in Christ, walking in step with your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that I have been rooted in Christ, connected to him. I'm in union with him. I only have you to thank for that reality. Thank you that I have been and am being built up in Christ. Thank you that you are maturing me through your truth. Thank you that I am established in the faith, established in what Jesus has done for me. Thank you for all the pastors, teachers, leaders, etc., who have taught me your word through the years and continued to establish me in the faith. May my life overflow the set boundaries with thankfulness so that you are glorified. That's how you abound with thanksgiving when you read the Bible. You thank your way through it. You can also pray your way through it. Turn each of these phrases into a prayer for you, your church, your family, missionaries, etc. So remember, you fill the emptiness that you feel with thanksgiving. Okay, so Paul is concerned that the Colossians may fall prey to this false teaching that said they need to do more in the Christian life instead of resting in what Christ has done. So he comes back to this idea of being taken in by false gospels and ideas and theologies. Because why? Because we live in a world just like Paul where we are flooded with lies and half-truths and we must always be on guard. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, 
according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So Paul is concerned that the Colossians will be taken captive by falsehood. The word he uses, take captive, was used in his day of plundering cargo from a ship. So Paul doesn't want these false teachers to come into the church, sneak their way in, and steal their hope and steal their joy. And when Paul mentions philosophy here, he's not referring to the class you would take like in college. Philosophy literally means love of wisdom. So when you study philosophy, you, you, know, you take philosophy 101 at college, you're studying how people think and why they think the way they do. Paul's not talking about that kind of philosophy. That's a good thing to do. He's not talking about that. He's talking about false gospels worldviews, agendas that are peddled by false teachers and this world system that we live in. But it goes deeper than just false teachers. It goes deeper than some actor on Twitter or Instagram peddling their beliefs. It goes deeper than that. It's demonic. The Greek word stoicheia that Paul uses here that gets translated as elemental spirits was used in the ancient world for spirits or demonic forces. So this false teaching that was creeping into the Colossian church had as its source Satan, demons. And it's what we're seeing in our culture today. We talked about this last week. All the talk of gender, sexuality, marriage, etc. that is being crammed down our throats is demonic because it is contrary to God's word. We have to see to it that we aren't taken captive by this kind of thinking because so many Christians and so many churches today are falling for the lies that are being peddled by culture. Everything that you see when you get on social media or turn on the news with gender, marriage, sexuality, all those things. So many Christians are being deceived, falling for these lies. And this happens when we take our eyes off Jesus. It happens when we elevate our own thoughts and opinions up to the level of the Word of God. That's what's happening in our world today. People are elevating their thoughts, their opinions. Well, this is what I think. This is how I feel. And they're elevating that up to the Word of God and saying it has as much authority as God's Word does. No, it doesn't. Okay? That's why so many churches and Christians are falling for the lies, the agenda that is being pushed today So as I said last week, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and keep our nose in his word in community. We need each other so that we don't get taken captive by some false teaching agenda worldview. You you probably know Christians who would say, well, I mean, I got to understand this guy feels like he's a girl, so he's a girl and I should use that pronoun and, you know, that's, I I mean, I kind of get it. Yeah, you've met people like that who are believers, This is why we need the word of God in community with one another so that when we start to think this way, someone comes along and says, hey, snap out of it. What does God's word say? We need each other so that we can get taken captive by false teaching, agenda, worldviews, etc. Because you start to hear it long enough and you start to think, well, maybe? Listen, we just aren't competent enough to read scripture all by ourselves. We aren't. We are not competent enough by ourselves to read Scripture alone. Now, don't get me wrong. You can, you should, you must read and understand your Bible on your own. 
Absolutely, do that. I'm not telling you not to do that. Okay, hear me out. Just so we're all clear on the same page. Read your Bible, okay? All right, that should put an end to any emails or phone calls. Read your Bible. Do that. Read your Bible and discover all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Christ in these pages. But we are not to exclusively read the Bible on our own. We're called to read Scripture in community. What did Paul tell Timothy? Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. To read it in community. The community of the local church and then the community of church history. So we simply cannot be trusted to be alone with the Bible all by ourselves. You've heard me say before, we need a chaperone when we read the Bible. We need tradition, church history, local church, what we believe in our denomination. We simply cannot be trusted to be alone with our Bibles all by ourselves. We need each other. We need community so that we don't get taken captive by some false theology, some false gospel, or some agenda that is being crammed down our throats. So let me encourage you again. Get connected here at Grace. Read Scripture together. Use your gifts for others. Please don't come in here and leave. Please don't do that. If you do that, you can get, you can get better music on the radio. I love our worship team, but it's, it's all produced. There's no mistakes. You can get better music on the radio because it's been recorded in a studio, produced. It's perfect, barring any static on the radio, maybe. It's perfect, right? And you can definitely get better preaching on the radio. So if you're just coming to hear music and preaching, there's better stuff on the radio. Let, let me encourage you to get connected here with other believers, Don't just come in and leave. Get to know people. It takes time, yes. But you got to start, right? So just start. Will it be awkward? Maybe. Will it be uncomfortable? Maybe. Especially if you're an introvert like me, right? No introvert wants to walk into a Sunday school class and there's like six people in there who already know each other. And there's like, oh my gosh, this is death, right? You introverts know what I'm talking about. That's like... You would rather be taken outside and shot like an old stray dog that has the mange rather than walk into a room where there's four or five people talking that already know each other. You're just like, you know, put me down. Will it be awkward if you're an introvert? Yeah, maybe. But you jump in with both feet, you get to know people, and then it starts to feel normal. And you begin to belong. That's what we want you to feel here at Grace to feel that you belong. So join a Sunday school class. Come on Sunday evenings at 5.30 for prayer, 6 o'clock for our evening service. Serve somewhere here so you can do all the one another's that are found in scriptures. Find places to serve. Use your gifts. Get to know your brothers and sisters here at Grace. And I think you'll be glad that you did. Okay, back to Colossians. Look at verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Paul's reminding the Colossian church that they can't find any more of God outside of Jesus. All that they need and have in God is found in his son Jesus. He is God incarnate. We saw this at the end of last year in our Christmas series, 3D Jesus. In Christ, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. He's a human being. 
All that is in God is in Jesus. He is 100% God, 100% man, with those two natures united together in one person. That's historic, orthodox uh, Christology right there. 100% God, 100% man, and we don't stop there. We have to continue saying, and those two natures united together in one person. Jesus, the one who is full of all that is in God, Paul tells us in Philippians 2, he emptied himself and became a servant. He gave up all his rights. He didn't empty himself of any of his attributes or he would cease to be God. What he emptied himself was his rights. He became a servant that we might be filled in him. He emptied himself so that we might be filled in him. And because of the incarnation... Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we are now filled in him. So all that is in God is in Jesus and now is in us. Just as God's presence filled the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, so too the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. And because we are in him, we have been filled with all of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us individually and then corporately as a church body. We are Filled in him, even when we feel empty. We're always filled in him, even when we ourselves feel empty. What mind-blowing generosity. We are filled in him. God gives us himself, and not just some of God, all of God. He gives all of himself to us. We serve a giving God. He gives the gift of his son. He gives his spirit. He just gives. Is that how you view God? He's a giver. He's not a taker. He's not a black hole sucking all glory unto himself. He is a giver. He gets glory because he gives. He's not a taker. He doesn't need anything. You've heard me say this many times. God has no needs. He doesn't need anything from us at all. He's sufficient in and of himself. So what does he do? He just simply loves to give. And who is this him? Paul says we are filled in him. Who is this him that he speaks of? He says in verse 9, he is the head and rule of all authority. Jesus is God Almighty, the sovereign God of the universe. That's who you are filled with. Think about that. The sovereign God of the universe lives in you by his spirit. That means then, All we're going to need this week is Jesus. All we're really going to need is Jesus. That's our most basic need. Not having some thorn in the flesh removed. Not getting people's approval. Not having less hassles and messes in our lives. I mean, that would all be nice, right? But what we all really need more than anything else is Jesus. And he is more than willing to give us more and more of himself. We just have to hold out the empty hands of faith and say, I'll take all you'll give. Ray Ortland reminds us of the futility of trying to fill the emptiness with anything other than God. He says, we might try to fill the voids we so deeply feel by doing bad things or by doing good things. When we salve the ache in our hearts, which only God himself can satisfy, by doing good things... We then feel proud and think God owes us, and we get angry when he doesn't fork over. When we salve the ache within by doing bad things, 
We feel shamed and think God despises us, and we slink away from him in bitterness and cynicism. But we are the ones complicating our souls. Filling the void with anything but God is a sin. Sin can involve doing a good thing, or sin can involve doing a bad thing. But only God can comfort us. Only God can fill our souls with the magnitude of the one we long for. And he does freely on terms of grace. To be empty and disappointed and brokenhearted does not disqualify you from God. It means God is near if you'll have him. Let me ask you, what are you trying to fill the emptiness in your life with? We all feel it from time to time. What is it for you? True freedom and joy can only be found in Christ as he fills us with his presence. Only Jesus can fill our souls with the magnitude of the one we long for. God is near. Jesus is near. If you will have him. Will you? All he is asking us to do and all that we can do, and the one thing we must do, is receive his grace with the empty hands of faith. Will you come to Jesus? If so, then just come as you are, and Jesus will receive you. Come guilty, and Jesus will forgive you. Come trembling, and Jesus will reassure you. Come empty-handed, and Jesus will enrich you. Why? Simply because Jesus loves to fill empty hands. Why? Because God does his best work with empty. Let's come to him empty-handed today and ask him to fill our souls with his sweetness. Let's do what Robert Murray McShane said. He said, live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel His all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart and so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan Or the flesh. Live much in the smiles of God. Camp out in the smiles of God. You can do that today because you're in Christ. You can do that because the God of love is for us. The Spirit of God is in us. And the Son of God is with us. In fact, you can sleep deep tonight with a big smile on your face. Because God is smiling at you in Christ right now. Is a fixed grin. No more frowns. When you, come to, when you come to faith in Christ, there's no frowns on God's forehead. No more crossed arms. No more wagging fingers. No more shame on you. It's just a fixed grin. It's love. Unending smile. He is pleased with you in Christ and you have been filled in him. You can believe that with all your heart today. And I hope you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the indescribable gift of the gospel. Because of Jesus, there is no more condemnation left for my sin. 
His perfect righteousness has been declared, credited, imputed to me, to my account. I cannot and will not ever experience separation from your love. Thank you for your commitment to bring your work in me, in us, to completion one day. We so want to be like Jesus, and we're so not like Jesus in so many ways. But we praise you that you love us right now to the degree that we're in Christ and not to the degree that we're like Christ. Because we're not like Jesus that much, Father, but we are 100% in, and you love us to that degree. Thank you for being tenaciously at work for our good in all things, in the things that thrill us, the things that annoy us, in the wounds that still hurt us, the failures that still haunt us, in the unanswered prayers, in the unexpected gifts, delayed flights, countless delights, our biggest disappointments in our extended family, the extension of us having to wait on you to answer our prayers, and the circumstances, peoples, and stories, which we don't have any control over, but we so wish we did. Thank you for being God. Thank you for being good all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.